everyone. Welcome to this next episode of the Ask Podcast. Thank you for joining us. And uh, today I have with me our Director of Media Ministries here at Fraser, Ken Roach. And uh, Ken, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, glad to be here. And uh, today, you know, on this podcast, we're always looking at different questions that people have about the Bible. And uh, today we're going to look at who is the Holy Spirit, uh, which I think it's a, a question that a lot of people are curious about, or it may be even a question that some people don't even think about, you know, but it's uh, the Holy Spirit. He's probably the most neglected part of the Trinity uh, unless you grew up in a Pentecostal background, um, you probably grew up in a church tradition that doesn't talk much about the Holy Spirit. And uh, if you have any thoughts about the Holy Spirit, you're kind of unsure or it's even a little bit scary because you might have heard words like Holy Ghost and you think ghost, you think Halloween or uh, or any church that you knew that did emphasize the Holy Spirit was a little different and typically has seven names in their title, you know, like Fraser Holy Spirit Church of Montgomery sort of thing. And and so um, a lot of people have neglected uh, this part of their faith. And uh, and unfortunately, that's that's a really negative thing because the Holy Spirit is the third part of the Trinity. And this is a huge part of what it means to be a Christian and to live out our faith. And so that's what we're going to be tackling today. And so maybe just to start us off, Ken, maybe just talk a little bit about who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Bible have to say about the Holy Spirit and uh, how he operates in our lives? Yeah, it's interesting because right from Genesis chapter one, I mean, the spirit's there from the very beginning. We see uh, before creation, it says the spirit is hovering over the waters of creation. So there's these references to the spirit from the very beginning of how does God go about bringing the world into being through this motion of the spirit, through breathing the breath of life into humankind. You know, the Hebrew word for for breath is the same word as as spirit. So uh, it's woven throughout scripture. But like you said, we we've we've neglected it at times and uh, and missed out. So I think, you know, historically, it's helpful to understand just briefly the development of the doctrine of the Trinity that, you know, Christians like um, uh, like Jews are um, are monotheistic. We believe in one God and we stand against um, those uh, thought patterns that would divide the world into, you know, multiple gods. Um, and so we've been very strong about, hey, there's only one God. There's only one worthy of our worship, worthy of our adoration, worthy of our whole heart. So how did we get this doctrine of three in one? And, and essentially it came about through reflection on the experience that people had where um, as believers in this one God, Jesus appears and he makes claims um, to embody the presence of the one God and to reveal the kingdom and the power of the one God. And, and then ultimately through the resurrection, they experience, oh yeah, this this is the image of the invisible God. This person is God in the flesh. And so they begin to understand not that there's now two gods, but rather that through Jesus, the one God is revealed to us in a new and unique way. And then uh, as Jesus ascends into heaven, he says, I, I promise I'm going to continue to be present with you and wait for my spirit to come upon you in power. And they have these experiences then with the Holy Spirit where they sense, oh, um, Jesus is is like still present with me. Like we are still experiencing him with us like we did when he was here in, in, in the body. I mean, different, but yet essentially the same. They they, And so that's when they began to express this idea of 
Uh, God is somehow three in one. We still believe in only one God, but we have this spirit who's revealing Jesus to us and Jesus who's revealing the Father to us, and they're all uh, one God, but that's how we're experiencing him. Yeah, and I think that's that's so important to think about because the Holy Spirit is so important that Jesus even told his disciples that it's better for you that I go away so that I can send the spirit, the comforter. So, I mean, I'm sure the disciples had to be thinking like, you going away, there can not be anything good about you going away. Like, what are you talking about? And how amazing does this Holy Spirit have to be in order for that to be a true statement? Uh, but what we see there is that part of the purpose in Jesus coming was to pour out the Holy Spirit. And I think that that's something that it took me a while to kind of get is that the Holy Spirit has always been um, present. And yet part of the reason of Jesus coming was to pour out the spirit in a bigger, more uh, complete way. And so uh, I always put it this way in the old Testament, the Holy spirit is there, but the Holy spirit is transient and um, only a select few really receive the anointing of the spirit. And you'll see that at times, whether it's prophets or whether it's certain Kings that they have these anointing of the spirit or uh, the spirit filling the temple. And so the spirit is present, but it's, it's, he's transient and it's selective. And yet, you know, the prophets start talking about this day that's coming where the spirit will be poured out on all God's people. You know, the Joel verse, um, that your sons and daughters will dream dreams and prophesy. And, and so there was this anticipation that one day, uh, God's spirit would be given to all of God's people, not just a few. And, and ultimately Jesus came to fulfill that promise that Jesus, um, is God's presence here on earth, God in the flesh. Um, and he died and he rose again. And then his ascension in, in Acts 1, uh, the purpose of the ascension was then to pour out the Holy Spirit on the early church, what we would call Pentecost. And uh, it didn't dawn on to me until many years into, into my own Christian journey to realize that, you know, that that was really the main purpose in Jesus coming. Usually when we think of Jesus coming, we think of the incarnation. He came to identify with us so that we would understand who God is and suffer with us. We think about the cross, that Jesus came to die for our sins, the resurrection, to conquer the grave and death. But even that was ultimately, there was another step of Jesus's ascension to the right hand of God and then pouring out the spirit so that now God's Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus can live in every single believer, not just a few, not just pastors, not just kings, not just prophets, but that now every single Christian has the Holy Spirit uh, inside of them and at their disposal. Yeah, if you think about it in terms of the logic of the Old Testament, um, <clears throat> you know, the Israelites were, were saved out of bondage in Egypt. They were brought out of the Exodus, and then they were brought you know, to Sinai to receive the law, to receive the, um, the tabernacle and the presence of God. But then the the story is not complete until they're able to enter into the promised land. And in fact, you have this whole generation that wanders in the wilderness and fails to enter the promised land. Well, Paul makes this huge leap in his gospels where he says the promise was the Holy Spirit. It wasn't ultimately the land. Uh, it was the Holy Spirit. He said that really the promise to Abraham was the Holy Spirit. And so um, if as believers and followers of Jesus, until we're entering into 
um, the power uh, of a life driven by the Holy Spirit, where we are like those Israelites that wandered in the wilderness. And I think we've seen that. We've seen generations in the church in, in many cases, in many individuals. And I know I've had this in, in my own life, just times when I was really trying to live the Christian life, but it was more like those Israelites wandering in the wilderness. Like we're with God, but we're not experiencing the fullness of the promise. And and what is it that's missing? And I think Paul would say, scripture would say, uh, it's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And and this is so crucial because one of the first things the Holy Spirit does is transform your identity. Um, This is why Paul uses this amazing language, you know, when he's writing to Christians who who are falling into things that they shouldn't fall into, one of the things he reminds them is, don't you realize that you're a temple of the living God? Don't you understand that God's spirit is inside of you? Or Romans 8, the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead now lives in you. He's he's kind of constantly reminding them of this identity that, that you're a temple of the living God. You know, that same temple in the Old Testament that was so revered because that's where God's presence was located. You are now... God's temple. You are the location of God's presence here on earth. And so understanding how important you are and how much power you have, um, this is something that seemed to really, you know, almost exasperate Paul. Like, like, don't you get it? Don't you get the gift that you've been given? Don't you realize who you are? And, and this fundamentally changes the way you see yourself. And so Paul says things like, you know, that's why you don't just treat your body however you want to treat it. This is why you need to flee from sexual sin because it's not just because, hey, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. It's because, hey, don't you get who you are and how important you are and and that you're a temple of the living God. And so this reframes our understanding of who we are and and how we're supposed to to live because of that. Yeah, in our Wesleyan tradition, I think one of the things that John Wesley was was very insistent on is that it's the right of the children of God to experience the inner witness of the Holy Spirit that that we would call assurance. So that you don't have to just wonder, am I a child of God? Um, but as uh, Romans 8 says, that the Spirit himself witnesses with our spirit that we are children of God and causes us to cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father, you know, to, to not just kind of know in our heads, Okay, well, logically, Bible says I'm a child of God because I believed in Jesus, but actually have that inner experience of assurance. I truly am reconciled to in an intimate relationship with God the Father um, because of the Holy Spirit's um, witness within me. Yeah, I think that's where we get uh, get after that idea is the Holy Spirit is comforter. You know, he brings this sense of peace and assurance that even when your circumstances aren't great, and even when the world's crumbling down around you, that you can have this assurance that I'm God's child. He's my father. I belong to him. He's with me. He's for me. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He He reminds you of these core truths about who you are and um, gives you that assurance of your salvation that becomes this kind of rock and foundation uh, for the rest of the way you live. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit, you know, thinking about how the Holy Spirit operates in our lives, you know, so that's part of it. He's a comforter. What else would you say about in terms of what does the Holy Spirit provide for a believer's life? So we have this assurance, we have this identity that comes through the Holy Spirit, but uh, maybe flesh that out a little bit more. Uh, what are some ways that the Holy Spirit operates in our lives? Well, one of the things Jesus promised that the Spirit would do is lead us into all truth or be a teacher. Um, and um, teacher in the sense of a revealer. And he says that, you know, that he will remind you of the things that I've said and he will, he will reveal me to you. So I think um, uh, the Holy Spirit 
takes God's word or God's truth um, and, and takes it from being an abstract idea outside of us, you know, words on a page or, or words in a sermon or whatever, and actually puts this light into our hearts that, uh, that uh, speaks about in Ephesians, you know, may, may your inner man be enlightened, your inner person have, have light from the Holy Spirit to accept as fully true, to have the truth revealed to you. So the whole teaching of Scripture that leads up to the revelation of Jesus as the ultimate truth of God then the Holy Spirit's role is to enlighten our hearts so that we're able to personalize that, to, to personally receive truth and, and, and understand the message of, of Scripture and ultimately the message of Jesus as true for our, us personally. Yeah, I think that's so key because I think, I think there are so many Christians who are trying to read and understand their Bible apart from the Holy Spirit, and uh, you can't understand God's Word without God's spirit. And so I think there's a lot of Christians, who, you know, we read books, we read the Bible and we're, we're gaining information, but we're not experiencing transformation. We're increasing our knowledge of facts, but our faith is not increasing in proportion to that. And I think that's because it's the spirit that takes the text, the written text and allows it to be God's truth, God's voice into our lives, speaking directly into our lives. And once you start tapping into that, it's amazing how, yes, you still are reading the Bible in the same way, in the same you know, principles that you want to use to apply the Bible to your life. But now you have this, um, the spirit, you know, applying it in a more direct way and giving you the power to actually obey what you're reading and, and learning. And so I think that's such a huge Aspect And then like in worship, when you hear a sermon, God will take the message and the Holy Spirit will speak into your life through the message, through the sermon. And I always say it's funny, it, it happens all the time where someone will come up to me after a sermon and tell me what they got out of the sermon and they'll say something that I didn't really say. Right. <laughs> and I'll be like, I don't, not sure what you were listening to, but I didn't exactly say that. But... That doesn't even bother me because what what God's doing is in is in the midst of the message is He's encouraging, challenging, convicting in ways and in speaking into people's individual lives. And so I always say that even when the Holy Spirit convicts you, to me that's that's a beautiful thing because again that's that means God loves you enough to speak truth directly into your life, your circumstances, your decisions. Like to me, that shows His specific individual love. You know, so when when you start tapping into the Holy Spirit and He starts speaking your life, even when it's convicting, to me that's such a beautiful indication of God's specific um, love in your life. Yeah, I was thinking about you know we've had some joking conversations about uh, texting and how it seems like because texts don't have a tone of voice or body language people can almost always misinterpret them. If you don't put that emoticon at the end of the smiley face, then no matter how nice the words are, you can interpret it as, oh, this person's angry at me, you know, and in reality, that's of all communication. You know, we need tone of voice. We need body language to interpret words. Well, in some ways, the Holy Spirit, like you're saying, kind of has that role for us. It's uh, when we read scripture um to me, the, the spirit is the voice of God, not just the word of God. So it, it, it's bringing it to life. Some, often we'll speak of the inspiration of Scripture as the action of the Holy Spirit 
working through the writers um, to ensure that the message uh, of God came through those writers. And, and and although that's true, I think when when the Bible refers to Scripture being alive and being inspired and having breath in it, it's really more focused on the experience of the reader or the or the hearer of the word that the Spirit has to be active to both give it that tone of voice, that context of this is how I'm saying uh, this to you and that personalization uh, that this, like you're saying, that conviction is really just the truth pressing home to me. And, and part of that is because there is an opposite of the spirit. You know, there are spirits that work against us in, in the spiritual realm. We have enemies that seek to deceive us and to bring lies. And we come under the influence of those lies. And when we do, when we come to Scripture, we'll we'll continue to interpret even Scripture through the lens of those lies, unless the Holy Spirit is there. And what what we feel is conviction is often um, the Spirit freeing us, trying to say, "Hey, you're you're under the influence of a lie. Here's my truth for you that's going to set you free." Um, and and then as it kind of breaks in and changes our paradigm, then all of a sudden the Word comes to life for us, and we're like, "Oh yes, that is." That's good news. That's not this burden from God or this conviction. Oh, no, I have to do this. No, that's liberation. That's freedom. That's joy. That's life. Once the spirit begins to kind of light that fire inside of me. And I think that's where the Holy Spirit and God's word go hand in hand. God's word kind of gives uh, you've heard it said before. It gives the Holy Spirit a vocabulary for your life. So you need God's word because that's kind of gives the Holy Spirit material or ammunition to speak into your life, you know? So if you don't have, you know, uh, much knowledge of God's word, it's, it's going to be very difficult for the Holy spirit to be able to, to speak into your life. And yet it's the Holy spirit that brings God's word to life and, um, makes it directly applicable to your life. And then also again, gives you the power to carry that out. And so one of the key things about the Holy spirit is the Holy spirit empowers us for holy living. And I would say that's, that's the most critical way that you can kind of see how responsive you are to the spirit. The Holy spirit leads to the fruit of the spirit. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control Galatians five, that if that fruit is not evident in your life, then more than likely the, the Holy spirit's work is being stifled. And so, and we'll talk in a moment about spiritual gifts and that's usually where we head very quickly, but Typically, when when the Bible talks about spirit-filled living, it talks about character. It talks about attributes. It talks about a way of living uh, that starts coming out of your life. And to me, that's where the Christian life becomes really amazing and exciting because the Holy Spirit is starting to transform the way you live, your relationships, the way you treat people, the way you respond. He's empowering you to live in ways that you weren't capable of before. And I think, you know, you talked about that earlier. So many Christians, including ourselves, we, we've been trying to obey God in our own strength, our own power and wisdom. And, and it just kind of leads to constant defeat and then constant guilt and constant condemnation. Well, that's not the fruit of the spirit. <laughs> you know, the fruit of the spirit is power. The fruit of the spirit is overcoming. The fruit of the spirit is life and salvation, not condemnation. So the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life always leads to life and to salvation into um, holy living. Yeah. And, you know, one of the fruits of the spirit that I've been focused on recently, I think we always hold up love and I think love is the the highest expression of the fruit of the spirit. Um, but, but sometimes love is so big of a thing for us to, to try to grasp. Um, but just that, that it's also joy. The fruit of the spirit is joy. And then that is actually a good 
barometer of how I'm walking with the spirit. Not, not of course, temporary happiness, you know, but deep down joy um, in walking with God. If, if I'm doing something because I feel like, well, I'm, I'm supposed to do this because this is the loving thing, but I'm really feeling burdened and incapable of doing this. And, and, and you know, then it may be that I need to look at how am I trying to do this in my own strength? Because I think as as I walk with the spirit and habitually walk with the spirit's power, I, I act with love towards God and love towards people. And I do it joyfully. Yeah. I think this word's again, a great barometer of, you know, if, if the older you get, the more cynical or negative or angry you become, you need to question who you're, who or what you're following because it's not the Holy spirit. <laughs> you know, he's not guiding your life. If the older you become, the more grumpy you become. You know, because that's that's not the fruit of the spirit, and so I think that's always just a good, a good check on our life that the uh, the Holy Spirit will always empower us to holy living, and it will always um, the Holy Spirit will never leave us unchanged. Is the way I would put it. You know, the Holy Spirit can't be operating your life and nothing be happening. Now, again, this doesn't mean you're perfect overnight. This doesn't mean you don't have bad days or struggles or imperfections, but there's this power in your life that's making you capable of things that you are not capable on your own. And just in thinking about that again, let's, let's think about the whole, the Holy spirit in the context of community. Cause so far we've, we've mainly focused on our individual Christian lives, but again, typically when we see the Holy spirit talked about, it's always in the context of a pastor writing to a church and, and how the Holy spirit equips us for certain things in the body of Christ. So maybe just speak about that a little bit in terms of, the Holy Spirit's role in in the body of Christ and in Christian community. Yeah, so you know there is one passage that says our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we need to see them that way. Um, but there are numerous more passages that would say it's all believers um, and all nations and all races and tribes, you know, that that are being joined together. That that's what. The place that was occupied by the temple in the Old Testament is the place where God's presence dwells. That in the New Testament era, what takes the place of that is not one individual Christian, but the community together in unity. Um, both that local expression, you know, of a group of believers that gather together, of Jesus saying, "Hey, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am." Well, he's he's always everywhere, but yet he's obviously saying that he's specially present where there's a gathering. Um, a local gathering of believers working together, but also, you know, the universal church of all nations, you know, living together in uh, finding one common salvation in Jesus Christ, one lordship in him, that that's where the spirit dwells. And then within that context um, releases gifts and we could talk for a long time about the gifts of the spirit. We can't possibly unpack all of that right now, but I think what stands out most to me in every presentation of the gifts of the spirit and how God gives um, supernatural power and ability and, and anointing of the spirit at different times and different places in different ways, it's always in the context that you're going to need each other, that no one person is going to get all the gifts or, or have um, the anointing of the spirit in such a way that they don't need other Christians to fully express the life of Christ and the mission of God to the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, you look at first Corinthians 12, um, where again, Paul's writing in the church and he says, you know, 
there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but it's the same Holy Spirit who's the source of them all. And so a spiritual gift is given to each of us as a means for helping the entire church. And so it's really the Holy Spirit that keeps us united. And this is what was so powerful about the early church is that they were from different backgrounds and different races. And, and it was really hard to explain, you know, Roman Rome didn't know what to do with these people. Like you had all these different people, Gentiles, Jews, male, female. And in the only way that they were capable of this was, was the Holy spirit is what bonded them together despite their differences that they all came to. And so it's the Holy spirit that kind of unifies us. And then it's the Holy spirit that gives us these spiritual gifts so that we can function completely as the body of Christ. And so this is where it gets even more amazing. The Holy Spirit not only empowers you for holy living, but then he empowers you to to do things that you're not capable in your own abilities. Uh, And so this might mean, you know, being an encourager. This might mean generosity. This might mean preaching and teaching, uh, prayer, intercession. Uh, But the Holy Spirit will start to operate in your life to give you gifts and talents and abilities or wisdom that you just did not have on your own. And the purpose of those gifts, again, is not individualistic. The purpose is to be a a means for helping the entire body, to encourage others, to help people in their walk, to help the body of Christ function um, in a complete way. And so that's what's really, really amazing is when you start to see that operating in your life and you start to see God using in your using you in ways that you weren't capable before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, a picture of that for me is sort of this idea of stem cells in the body. You know, when the, an embryo is growing, uh, the stem cell has like capacity to be any different kind of cell. Um, but as the, as the body matures, the cells differentiate. And so then you've got an, a, a brain cell that can do things that a skin cell can't you know and vice versa and and uh and so our bodies uh, differentiate and so from having sort of one cell that could sort of possibly become anything it's now in some ways less capable it's it's specific but the body as a whole is becoming more capable and so i think god is saying i'm i'm going to give gifts in such a way that you're going to have something to contribute to the body. You're going to have something that other people need from you for the body to function well. They're going to need you to do this. It's not going to be healthy if you don't. And at the same time, I, I'm going to intentionally put you in a position where I'm not giving you by yourself everything you need. You're going to have to rely on your brothers and sisters in Christ because I'm going to put them in a position to have gifts that you need. Yeah. But I, and I even look back on my own life. And, and it took some perspective, you know, but looking back, I can see where the Holy Spirit did these kind of mighty movements in my life. And, and at the time, I didn't really notice them. But like looking back, I was like, that didn't make any sense. Like I remember, uh, I think it was my junior year of high school. I was probably an average student. I was pretty good, but but not great. I wasn't a, a major reader or anything like that. And I can remember coming back from a church camp and and I just remember... Now looking back, was it had to be the Holy Spirit. It didn't make sense for a 17-year-old to just read through the whole New Testament in a couple of weeks. And I would just write down verses that stood out. And then I just became this massive reader. And I just started reading everything I could get my hands on. And again, looking back, I didn't really think about it. But now I can kind of see in hindsight, that makes no sense apart that the Holy Spirit was just doing a new work in my life, A. But B, I think that was the start of preparing me for ministry, my calling to ministry and my calling to study and preach and and preach God's word. Like he just, 
totally took something that really wasn't there much and just infused it into my life. And again, I can see numerous moments where um, looking back, I can say, man, the Holy Spirit just supernaturally did something in my life that was preparing me for my calling and for my gift that I would then use for the body of Christ. Yeah. You know, you're hitting on something that um, uh, I've been struck lately by some of the words from the Nicene Creed, one word in particular, where it refers to the spirit, it says the the, the spirit, the Lord. So his Lordship, you know, it, it it's good, I think, to think of the spirit as comforter, um, supporter, teacher, whatever. And, 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 but to recognize that just as we would say Jesus Christ is Lord, he's ruler, he's boss, the Holy Spirit is Lord. So he's leading us. And like you're saying, he, he takes the initiative. And sometimes I think I'm a big Star Wars fan uh, and I love it. But sometimes the downside can be I can tend to think of the Holy Spirit like the force. Like it's just this non-personal entity that's out there that gives power and somehow I can tap into it and use it to help me accomplish my agenda, even if my agenda is to get to be more like Jesus, it's somehow me that's driving the process versus saying, no, this is God, uh, a person. This is a person of the Trinity. This is the Holy Spirit is a person and uh, he has a will. He has an agenda of his own and he's the Lord. And I'm to be following him, not just using him to help me, so to speak. He is a helper, but the kind of helper that's Lord. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. You know, in the, in the little bit of time we have left, you know, just think about people who are listening. How do, how do we tap into the Holy Spirit's power in our life? Because the, the Bible does use language like be filled with the Spirit or do not stifle the Spirit. Um, and so there is a sense in which every believer has the Spirit, Holy Spirit in their life. And yet there also seems to be um, a way in which you live that can cause you to be more or less filled with the spirit or in terms of how the spirit is actually operating in your life and how it is moving in your life. So maybe think about some ways, how do we, uh, how do we put ourselves in a place where we can be filled with the Holy spirit or in turn, not resist or stifle the Holy spirit? Yeah. I mean, I think the simplest, um, and beginning point is to ask, uh, we're, we're challenged to just directly ask to be filled with the spirit, with the expectation um, that that God will respond to that, that he gives more of himself to those who ask for it, more of his manifest presence and glory and power in our lives. If we just ask for it, I think that's the easiest starting point. Um, part of it for me is I have to visualize. So when I think about, you know, how we've entered with Christ into um, in our baptism, we say that I'm dying to my old self and, and then raised up uh, with Jesus to walk in newness of life. Well, it's the Holy Spirit that empowers that resurrection life. So for me, I, I it helps to visualize it not so much as there's like just Ken who's gradually sort of getting better or improving through the helper power of the Holy Spirit, but rather that there really is an old Ken apart from Christ. Um, and then there's a, a completely new kin that is kin in Christ or Christ in me. And um, what I find is um, it's not so much that the old kin gradually improves and gets better as that in in moments of faith, when I I'm, allow the Holy Spirit to sort of visualize in me, what does Christ in me do? I can respond to a, a situation from a completely new 
point of view. It's not just the old point of view gradually getting better, but it's as if there's an entirely new person um, that's being activated. And then walking in the spirit is less about how do I gradually sort of work my way up as much as it is being more consistent about just staying in the constant presence of God and practicing the presence of God, just constantly reminding myself that the Holy Spirit is with me and that I should be asking him to guide me and direct me. Yeah, I think that's a good word. I, you know, I always think of the word attentiveness. It's, it's the spirit is moving. God is operating in the world. It's, it's more about us being more aware and in in tune to what God is doing in our lives and the lives of others. And then, being obedient to that and leaning into that. And so, yeah, I, I love the word ask, you know, this is the one place where the Bible says, ask, mm -hmm. seek it. And God will be faithful. Like God's not stingy about the Holy spirit. He's like, he's not looking down like, no, nah, I don't want to give Ken too much. You know, I just, uh, I'll, I'll parse it out a little bit over time. Like this is one of those where God is like, ask and I'll give it to you. And so part of it's, yeah, just being open. It's seeking, it's asking. I think there's a little bit of, uh, Part of that is also repentance, you know, that there are sometimes we can live in such a way that it can make it very difficult for the Holy Spirit to get our attention. So this isn't a question of love. God's love is without conditions, without limits. But there is a, a way in which we can live that can stifle the Spirit's work where we we are just hardening in our hearts because of the sin in our lives and the things that we're paying attention to. So I think that's a, a question you can ask yourself. Is there is there something that's holding me back? Is there... Um, a sin in my life that is hardening, hardening my heart to the voice of God. So it's making me hard to listen. Let's say another thing that we have to be concerned about in our culture is just, is it's busyness. It may not be specific sin, but we're just living a pace of life that makes it very difficult for us to be attentive uh, to God's spirit, to God's voice. Uh, we can live in a pace of life where we're constantly distracted. We're constantly looking at something. We're constantly engaged in some form of technology that that can kind of crowd out our, our ability to be in tune to God's spirit. And so that's, I would say that's something to think about. You know, just in closing, I think what's amazing is one of the things the Bible also says about the Holy Spirit is that he's a foretaste, which that's just hard to fathom, that he's the guarantee of our inheritance that is to come. And so the Holy Spirit and what we experience here in this life, which is amazing, uh, is just a foretaste of what is to come and to what God will do one day and what we will experience one day. And so the, the moments where we experience God's blessing, God's goodness, God's truth, uh, this is just a foretaste of what is to come. And so, well, hey, uh, thank you, Ken, for joining us today. Um, and uh, we appreciate you all so much for listening. Uh, if you have an opportunity, uh, please go to the podcast and rate it for us. That's always very, very helpful. And again, we appreciate you being a part of this. And uh, please know we're praying for you and thinking of you. And uh, we'll see you uh, very shortly. God bless. God bless.